hope is something that Jordan and I came to in some ways kicking and screaming by the, by the end of this project. But to us, hope is really about activity. It's about seeing the ways in which the world can be better and then acting to get there. Welcome back to the DWD podcast, a podcast focused on ending polarization through conversation. This week, we're joined by two authors. We're very excited for this conversation to connect from one of our previous guests, Chris and Jordan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us, guys. Of course. So to get things kick-started, for anyone who's not familiar with you both, could you just give us a little brief overview to what you've done in the past and the book that you just wrote? Um, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start off then kick over to Chris. Uh, so I'm, I'm Jordan Blaschek. I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, California. I went off to Princeton University for college. Uh, while I was there, I got inspired um, by veterans coming home from the Iraq war and decided to join the Marine Corps. Uh, I spent five years uh, as a Marine infantry officer. I did two tours overseas and then came back and went to law school uh, where I, I met Chris. Yeah. Hey. I'm Chris, and uh, I too am from California. Um, went to UC Berkeley, writer through and through. Uh, went to Washington to be a uh, journalist. Ended up being a speechwriter. Uh, I worked at the in the Obama White House as an intern, and then at the State Department with John Kerry's team. Uh, before deciding to go to law school, uh, where I wanted to continue being a writer. Strangely enough, which I'm happy to tell you guys about if if you have uh, time on your hands, uh, but. Um, serendipity would have it, uh, I met Jordan Blaschek. And uh, the two of us um, went on a series of six road trips over three years um, and told stories from the road. And, and basically, we were trying to find a way to talk across the aisle because I'm a Republican. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> wow, I'm, be Jordan wow. today. This is Chris, yeah. <laughs> I'm the Democrat and Jordan's a Republican. And, and we use these road trips as, a, as an attempt to sort of soothe the division and, and try to find a language that allowed us to kind of transcend uh, our different party uh, party backgrounds. So I want to start right there with how you both met, because one might say in this day and age that your friendship is kind of unlikely given your political differences. So how, or if you could tell us the, the specific moment between when you both met, what were your first impressions of each other? How did your conversations go? All that fun stuff. Yeah, well, so we met at a bar, as so many great friendships start in grad school, and I imagine uh, certain years in college as well. Um, and my first impression of Jordan was that he was definitely a veteran. Uh, you can't spend time in D.C. without kind of being able to spot veterans coming. You know, it has a lot to do with the haircut, uh, how they carry themselves, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, but he's also really warm. And in law school, it's, it's kind of you know, it can be really a, a stressful time for a lot of people and that manifests in, in maybe not the, the best hangs ever. Uh, but Jordan was, was pretty relaxed and, and, you know, he was a year ahead of me. So in many ways, uh, he took me under his wing. So uh, I was quite grateful to Jordan early on. And, and, and what was remarkable is that in 2015, which feels like a very long time ago, uh, it mattered a lot less, um, you know, who we voted for or what party we, you know, were part of uh, at that point. It mattered more that, we were interested in similar things that we wanted um, adventurous lives. We were both from California. Um, these other sort of larger uh, parts of who we were, were, were sort of at the forefront instead of, instead of politics. Um, but Jordan, I bet you had a very different impression of me at the time. 
Yeah. Well, you know, Chris reminded me of a lot of friends back home growing up. Like he, he didn't take himself too seriously. Uh, he, he was wearing studded earrings and had long hair and, uh, you know, a, a short sleeve button down. Um, and all around us, the, the law students are very intense and they're all so focused on their studies and ensuring that uh, they're well positioned for their next job. And coming out of the Marines, I was, I was looking for something a little different. And I found in Chris, someone who, uh, you know, had a similar aspiration for life. Like we, we both wanted to live interesting lives. We both wanted to do things that were adventurous, but also meaningful. And we both felt passionately about our jobs at the State Department and Marine Corps, getting to represent the U.S. government and uh, to be an arm of, of, of the U.S. policy doing good around the world. And so I think those things united us. And, um, you know, we knew the other was from the different party, but it just didn't matter back in 2015. Um, and obviously in 2016, like things... It's kind of changed a little bit and the, the, the atmosphere shifted, it certainly shifted at the law school. It just became a lot more tense, a lot more bickering. Um, and as we got closer and closer to the election, I think Chris and I were both just very frustrated that our once like amazing conversations just kept getting derailed by politics. Um, and so a lot of the inspiration for these trips in the book came out of this desire to get away from the shouting, to find where we could have deeper conversations and to learn something about the country that we felt was going through some weird cataclysmic uh, turmoil um, that everybody was sort of surprised by. For sure. How is your service with the United States as being part of the Marine Corps influenced you and your willingness to explore other people's beliefs um, like like what you had on this road trip? What made you so willing to do that? Yeah, well, I think one of the amazing things about uh, the Marine Corps and the U.S. military generally is that people come from all over the country, from all different backgrounds. Uh, they represent the incredible diversity of America. And as soon as you step foot into the Marine Corps, they shatter whatever identity you had before. Uh, they, you know, physically, they shave your head. They like make you do, you know, all these marches and uh, indoctrinate you into a new culture. And then they build you back up with this ethos of, you know, being a part of the U.S. military. And it's very powerful. And so what you're able to witness is um, all these Americans coming together from different backgrounds and building a common bond that is so strong that you go into combat and people literally run into gunfire for each other. And so it's a very powerful example of being able to bridge divides to, to come to something greater than the sum of the parts. And, um, you know, beyond that, once, once you're, you know, fully in the Marines and you're now serving overseas, you really get to witness the best of Americans and they, all have different ideas and beliefs and, and uh, they might be Republicans or Democrats or independent or communists. It doesn't really matter. Like overseas, they do these incredible things for each other and for people we've never met. And so when you watch that, you're able to untangle someone's political beliefs from their incredible qualities as a person. And so I think for me, that, that, was, that was definitely something I took with me uh, out on the road, it informs my worldview and my sense of what it means to be an American. Um, and honestly, I think Chris's experience at the State Department gave him a similar sense. Um, so he can share that. But I think we both had this sense that there's uh, there's something unique about Americans and and something beyond politics that uh, that you can find in every person. Yeah, Chris, I'd love if you could speak to to your experience as well at the State Department. What that um, working as a speechwriter as well, how that influenced your willingness to go across the aisle, especially in conversations, and go on this road trip? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I was first 
interviewing for the job, uh, my future boss, Steve, uh, pitched the job to me as an opportunity to sort of transcend politics in many ways that you could write a speech that quoted Reagan and, and Kennedy uh, and, you know, in, the, in the same set of remarks. Um, and, and that was really, really interesting to me. And it was, it was something that uh, uh, attracted me to the job. And then getting in there and, and, and starting the, the, the work of being a very, very, very low-level diplomat um, was, was true to that, that spirit. I mean, I, I worked with Republicans, I worked with Democrats, and we rarely ever spoke about it uh, at work because what we were doing was diplomacy. Um, America's role in the world was more important than you know, who you had voted for in 2008 or 2012. Um, there's this larger, larger purpose to that. And, you know, I was also, you know, I, I got into politics based on the election of Barack Obama, and it feels like a lifetime ago. But in 2007, 2008, he was saying things like, you know, there's no red states, there's no blue states, there's just the United States. Um, and that was my sort of my my first inkling of what it meant to be in politics was this sort of larger message of um, a greater identity than, say, what divides us. And so getting to law school, I mean, th- one of the other great things about law school, and and especially in sort of relation to Jordan's time in the Marines and my time at the State Department was that law school is another one of those places where there are sort of higher ideals than, say, partisanship that animate our studies, that animate the profession. Um, it's one of those places where Republicans and Democrats, conservatives, liberals, you know, like Jordan said, communists or, or you know, anything in between um, are, are still attracted to the law and still attracted to it as a, as a vessel of change or a vessel of, of holding up our, our democracy. So, um, it did feel like we were quite lucky that we had these, these, these institutions in our background and that we met in this very particular place. Both of you have these experiences serving our country, and that seems super unique, or at least something which a lot of people aren't exposed to. Would you say that that's a practical solution to ending modern-day polarization? And if so, what are some practical ways in which people could um, take similar routes Jordan, you want to take it? I'll start. Um, I, you know, I think so. I, I, I think service does a few things. Like one, it it ties you to a greater mission and and gives you you know common ground with someone through that shared mission you might not have um, anything else in common with. So I think that's very powerful. Um, I, I think it also you know gets you uh, uh, thinking in a, in a different way as, as opposed to being very individualistic and looking at like, well, what's in this for me? You're thinking about, well, how can I make the community better or society better um, through tangible action? And, and so I think that's, that's very important. And um, you know, it strengthens those kind of civic bonds. Um, so, you know, how do you make that real? Uh, I personally don't believe that like a national service requirement is something that would ever happen. I, I just don't think it squares with like the American ethos of autonomy and, um, and liberty. Um, but I do think we can encourage it. So I think the government could subsidize programs that, um, you know, give people free college if they do a few years of service um, or, you know, provide uh, uh, stipends to people who engage in, in a year of service. You could expand AmeriCorps and, and the Peace Corps and stuff like that. Um, and so I'd be a huge fan of finding all these ways to incentivize that so that, you know, the best people, uh, across society are all like fighting and competing to get to, you know, serve the country in various ways. Um, that, that would be my two cents. Chris, what do you think? Yeah. I like to joke that my favorite phrase these days is, uh, is, uh, I agree with Jordan. Um, but I really do. <laughs> and, and, um, 
yeah, I, I don't think conscription is the way to it, but those are such formative years right after college. I mean, college is formative in its own right. We all know that. But the first few years when you're really, truly out on your own and you don't have the superstructure of an academic environment behind you, or say, if you don't go to college, um, those are really critical years in terms of defining who you are in this world, what you want out of it, um, what, what is a fulfilling career. And I think that that's a critical time to serve. Um, the fact that I was in government for those years instead of doing anything else, whether it was, you know, writing and, and bumming around the country, which is what I ended up doing in my late 20s uh, with, with Jordan um, or, or any other kind of profession. It just wouldn't have left me with the same kind of values that I, I picked up in that in that particular institution. So um, I think if we can find a way to get more young people to serve in those years in particular, I think we'd have a we'd have a much more vibrant citizenry. I think we'd, we'd see voting participation go up enormously. Uh, I think the, when you start to see the gears of government and the gears of society working, then you start to see your place in it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how to get there. I think smarter people than me have have ideas, uh, including Jordan, who's being humble right now. But, uh, but yeah, I think it would be amazing if we could get more people to do that. Transparency certainly seems to be one of those things that can excite a lot of people. Um, but in particular, referencing your book, you, in a way, are being very transparent about what America looks like from your point of view on this trip that you went on. And what I'm most curious about is the disagreement that might have actually happened between you two as you're going on this trip. Were there any times that you had very strong disagreement after maybe speaking with someone that you've never met? Um, and how did you make sure that that didn't just derail the entire experience for you two of just calling everything a quits because you just butt heads too many times? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is that we fought like cats and dogs pretty much from uh, the first you know few months of meeting each other to today. I mean, there's still times where we'll do like a book event and we'll get off the call and we'll do we'll be doing like a, a debrief and then someone will say something. One of us will say something about what's going on in the country and then we'll be right back at it and they'll feel like 2016. 16 again or 2007 on the road um really like the context of your, of your question which is you know what like what, when did this happen was it after you met someone or you know how did it go and what was amazing to me is that we fought the most when we were sort of embodying uh ideas and and parties and people that we weren't in the car and and that we may have never met before you know i was at my worst when i was just being uh you know a cutout version of a democrat uh, i would imagine jordan would say that he felt the, like he was being the worst version of himself when he was being a cutout version of a republican and that's when we fought because it wasn't really about two friends talking anymore it was about two people trying to represent an idea that they maybe didn't even have a full grasp of and often when we had just talked to someone that was when we were at our our our, our closest that was when we we were able to agree on so much because it's it's almost impossible to meet someone and not um, understand more about their humanity and the way that they're articulating themselves and getting it. And so, you know, when we were talking to Pete, a truck driver we spent five days with um, uh, driving from uh, Las Vegas to, to Louisiana, um, who, who wore a Make America Great Again shirt for, for I think, four out of five of those days, um, Jordan and I agreed a ton, even though, you know, here we are talking to this, to this Trump voter. Um, because when you actually spend time with someone, when you get to know them, um, when you let them articulate themselves and get into how they got to where they are and, and the beliefs that they hold, then um, it's a lot harder to hate one another or yell at one another or misunderstand. And, and, and that maybe that speaks to the importance of transparency. It speaks to the importance of shared facts, shared experience, going to the scene. 
but yeah, Jordan and I were always at our worst, always fighting when we were, when we were kind of further away from Americans than when we were closer to them. Yeah. Does that, does that track with your, <laughs> your memory of it, Jordan? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it seems like you guys have done something which is almost impossible nowadays and it's break past party lines to become friends. And I think, you know, that that's what it was like maybe 10, 20 years ago, I think maybe prior to the 2016 election, but now the case just isn't, isn't the same though. One of the biggest aspects of polarization, which at least I've noticed is generationally, you guys seem to be of the same age. Um, again, you said that he was a year older than you in terms of his studies. So you're basically on the same track at the same age. But do you think that this aspect of like depolarizing and looking past partisan politics can still apply to somebody who's uh, 80 years old and a person who's 20 years old having a conversation with each other? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the, the, the most important thing I think Chris and I figured out was that, you know, nobody, when they think about like, who do I want to be in this world? Like, what, what are the most important things about who I am? Nobody says like, oh, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. And, and yet, you know, we, we label someone as like, oh, he's a Republican. There's no way I will have anything in common with this person. But if, if you ask them, like, what, what, what do you think defines you? Like, what are your deeper values? What are the experiences in your life that you think speak to who you really are? I guarantee you'll find something in there that you resonate with, or you realize like, oh, wow, like me and this person, we actually share a lot. Even if we view, you know, things like uh, the right way to approach immigration or um, how to handle, uh, you know, abortion, uh, you might disagree on those issues, but you have these deeper things there. And I think that's true across generations too. I think the important thing is to be humble enough to realize that someone might've had very different life experiences. And so they don't, they might not like treat an issue with the same language or sensitivity that you treat it with. They might approach an issue with a different perspective, given the experiences they've had and to be humble enough to say like, okay, they they might use a word that I find uh, objectionable, or they, they might've said something that I think is a little insensitive, but you know, have some humility and grace to say like, well, that's okay. I can still engage with this person and learn from them just as they might learn from me. Um, and I think the big mistake we make in politics today is we, we shut off the debate because we're like, oh, that person must, must have views that are objectionable instead of saying, well, what can I learn? And in learning, can I share something in turn that this person might grow from? And, you know, someone who's 80 can grow just as much as someone who's, who's 20. Um, and we, we should be, you know, willing to learn from each other because, uh, you know, there's, there's incredibly valuable experiences on both sides that, that make us better as a society. Definitely. Yeah. I, what, what you're harping on here, I think is really important for anyone listening and also for myself and just reflecting is, is that it almost comes down to still needing to, to be willing to grow. And I think in this point in time, people are so entrenched in their beliefs and so fixed that they cannot shift or they don't think it's possible even to begin with. That being said, in, in your experiences when you're traveling across the country, aside from you two and, and possibly even changing your beliefs throughout the trip, did you notice that even just in short conversations that you were having with people that they began to change? And, and if so, how were they changing? That's a really interesting question. Um, you know, the, the nature of this project was mobile. You know, we were in and out pretty quickly. Um, we spent some time with some people. We spent some, some quality time with a few people like like Pete, 
um, who I mentioned earlier, the truck driver, you know, those are some intensive days. Truck drivers drive for hours on end, you know, like 12, 15 hours a day. Uh, and then when they're not driving, they're usually, you know, uh, uh, talking around, uh, talking around a, uh, truck stop. That is, so, so, so it's a lot of intensive time and absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not sure if I, if I would say we saw him changing, you know, before our very eyes, but I, I do think that he was showing, he would show us his vulnerabilities and show, show us the places where he wasn't so sure of himself. And, you know, we were able to do the same and, and that's a moment of exchange. I mean, and this is, this is one of our, the lessons that we were trying to carry forward with this project, which is that, um, you know, things are, things are extremely complex. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you learn a ton, you're able to, you're able to, uh, uh, make the world seem big in a, in a great way. When you actually are talking across the aisle, you're talking to people with different life experiences, like Jordan was saying. And, um, and there's a lot to be learned even from people who, who maybe think entirely different than you do. And, and Pete was exactly one of those kinds of characters for us. I mean, he had an entirely different background, you know, he, he used language that, uh, you know, I might not have coming from Berkeley or, or from Yale. Um, but there was so much, he was just dripping with intelligence and wisdom from a very different way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we changed P. Um, I don't know if we saw him really moving per se, but, but we absolutely were able to like talk in these intimate ways. And, that, and that's actually another one of these lessons, which is that if you can find a way to talk um, in like intimate and vulnerable spaces instead of places with a big platform or a spotlight on you or an audience, um, then you're far more likely to say things like, I don't know this, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced yet. I think this is right. I've been told this is right. It feels right, but I don't know. And then that's a space where you can actually change a little bit. And, you know, just to add to that, I, I do think one thing we saw over and over again was the way we approached people really mattered. And uh, this was dramatized for us by the lobstermen we spent time with in Maine. So, uh, lobstermen in Maine are historically or n- notoriously uh, suspicious of everybody. They hate tourists. They really hate uh, people who just come to like gawk at them and take pictures. And um, you know, they're they're an industry that they feel uh, is is like you know, it's their own little uh, uh, like secluded part of society, and they they operate kind of on the frontiers and. Uh, we really wanted to explore the lobster industry for a few reasons. Chris had taken a course on it in law school. Um, you know, it's come up in the trade war with China and, and we get there and we get told over and over again that, uh, there's no way the lobstermen will talk to you. They just won't trust you. And so, you know, what Chris and I did was we actually ended up finding this guy and, um, you know, at first he, he was sort of suspicious. He didn't really want to talk to us. Um, and we just kind of offered to help. Like we, we, you know, we helped him when he was he was doing repairs on his boat. We helped him go get bait for uh, for the lobster traps. We you know we we just we pitched in. We lent a hand and we started building up some trust with him. And by the end of the day, when he was like, "Wow, you guys actually like pulled your weight," um, he he opened up and he said, "Why don't you guys come over and have dinner with me?" And it was over dinner in the intimate setting that Chris described that we were actually able to get like real insight into this guy's life and worldview and how he thought about things. And you know we we abstract that to, you know, how, uh, our countrymen and women should approach each other. You know, we, we have to build trust with each other again. There's so little trust across the aisle. There's so little faith that, you know, the other side is, 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 is looking for, um, uh, 
what, you know, the best of America and, and so are we. And as a result, we don't trust their intentions. And so we just have to go about building trust in various ways with each other again. And it's those little things, those little acts of kindness and generosity and uh, helpfulness that, that end up doing that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard for my generation to build trust in the political sphere because I, at least from my experience, I've never had trust in it to begin with. Mm. Mm. And so through that same token of thought, how do we build trust when there hasn't been any trust experienced before? It's a good question. I mean, my, my two cents on it is, um, uh, you know, to, to, to get engaged and it's, it's very easy to like sit on the sideline and, and pick at like, Oh, well, this isn't what I want it to be, or that's not what I want it to be. Um, but it's different when you actually put skin in the game. And I think, you know, Chris and I having spent time in the government, I think we, we view things differently. You see where, uh, people with the best of intentions sometimes don't get the best outcome because the world's complex. It's hard. There's, there's, many issues at play and many stakeholders to manage. And, um, you know, sometimes bureaucracies are slow for a reason. Um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, they're not, they're not trying or it's worth engaging with. Um, and so, you know, my, my biggest two cents is to, to put skin in the game and, and see if, if you, uh, you know, through service can, can start building up a sense of, of duty and civic and civic commitment. Yeah. If I could jump in, I, that makes me sad, you know. I, like I, I came of political age, like I said earlier, with with Barack Obama, which, you know, whatever you, who, whatever you think of the man and the presidency, um, if you were 17, 18 at the time, there was this feeling of trust and there's this feeling of belief and engagement, and that the world reflected the, the larger world reflected my world, my small world, and that w- that was critically important for you know, my time, uh, over the last, you know, four years, um, it, it's been a, it's been a sort of an anchor to my, uh, worldview as things have gotten so terrible this last year is that that sort of political maturation moment. And so the, the fact that, you know, like that you say that, 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 you know, and that, 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 that question is, is now so, so pertinent and, and so present that, you know, how do you create trust where there never was any, you know, I, what I want to say in part is that things change, you know, um, I think you can, you can look at moment and how things have changed and see it changing for the worse. You can see it changing for the better, depending on who you, who you are, but, but it's also just change and change can, it means that like trust is possible because, you know, if it doesn't exist now, it, it maybe existed before, you know, I'm, I'm, I hope that, you know, Jordan and I can also show a little bit that, um, you know, other generations can carry that torch forward and maybe show you, um, and other generations, uh, future generations, that it's possible, right? And, and I, that's why I think Jordan's advice about engagement is so critical. I mean, it, it might be kind of a bitter pill right now, engagement. You know, it doesn't really feel like it's one-to-one. You know, you, you put one unit of engagement in, you get one unit of trust back. Um, but every, every time you engage, you get closer to bringing back that, that, that trust in, in our larger system. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I would like to flip that around to you guys as well. I mean, you guys have been having these conversations. Do you see any hope for, for building trust again? I mean, you know, Jordan and I have our own opinions, right. And, and we've, we've had these experiences driving across all these States and talking to all these people, but um, really what matters is like your guys' generation and your guys' perspective, because, you know, Jordan and I are going to be old and gone pretty soon here and you guys are going to be in charge. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not that soon. Uh, Cause we definitely <laughs> need folks like you to stay around and, and guide us in this process. But what I would say to your question is, I, I almost feel like Joey and I, in, in our own project with this, 
have virtually traveled not just only across the country, but across the world. Um, we've spoken to people from England. We have listeners all across the world now in, in over 55 countries. And they reach out to us and they talk to us about how they too are experiencing what we are noticing in the United States, which might say something a little bit uh, harsh about how the American ideal uh, applies to the rest of the world, especially when we're not living up to those ideals. Nevertheless, though, I, I do think that there's a lot of hope. And, and I think that what we have noticed in our own conversations is that there are so many change makers, including Thanasi, who connected us, um, that the beautiful part of our system is it's based off of how we feel and how we act. And so we live in a very different place. And, and we shouldn't, in my opinion, take it for granted that we live in a democracy or a republic, whichever one you want to choose to name it by. Because just a few generations ago, for, for Joe and I in particular, our parents are from Soviet Russia. Um, and, and we have friends from all across the world who have lived under either totalitarian regimes or under no government whatsoever. And the fact that we have a government that actually in theory and, and in many times in practice operates based off of how the people feel is still a very unique and new phenomenon. And it's all an experiment. Like if we don't engage then the experiment can cripple. It's not like it's something that's set in stone. So I am right there with you as to how to, to change this process. And even if it is a hard pill to swallow, just I, my, my main thing to anyone who's listening, who's around our age or who is even older, is just pick one thing that you care about. Like for Joey and I, it was we really care about polarization and its impact as it underlies all the variety of issues that we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so we decided, okay, how can we go about and try and resolve that. We noticed that conversations were a very powerful way to at least change the dial one degree. But people mm. can take any sort of issue. If you care about plastic waste, try and get involved. You know, you have wherever in your location, um, wherever you are right now, even virtually, to assist, to get involved, and to make your voice heard. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a firm believer that Hope is only useful if it's democratized. And unfortunately, at least the way that I see it, you turn on the TV and it's not, you know, speeches from MLK. It's Donald Trump yelling at somebody or Biden not being able to finish a sentence. I mean, like, it's just what we see is almost like what our reality is. And it doesn't seem like figures who are providing hope to the public are put on a pedestal or the pedestal which they should be put on. Mm -hmm. Um and to your point about political engagement as a young person, it's, it's super difficult, at least when I'm sitting in a classroom, because the conversations aren't about politics. It's about, do you watch Fox News or MSNBC? And that dictates what your perspective is. It's not about politics. It's about media. And so I think that until we stray away from that, look at the facts, look at the data and identify our pure, our real political ide ideologies, until we do that, we won't really have any sense of hope. But that just requires education. Um, that's just my two cents on it. Yeah, I that all. I mean, you guys could have written Union from the sound of things. I mean, you, the, so many of the ideas that we are writing about and that sort of animated our journey are exactly what you guys just you guys just said. I mean, the importance of democracy, the importance of this being an experiment. And you know, if you don't lean in, then then we lose said experiment, and it's all over. I mean, democracy is young, like you said. I mean, it's ancient and it's young, and especially especially American democracy and. Look, I mean, I, I just want to underline one thing you, you, you guys were talking about, which is hope. 
and hope is something that Jordan and I came to um, in some ways, kicking and screaming by the, by the end of this project. But to us, hope is really about activity. It's about um, uh, uh, seeing the ways in which the world can be better and then acting to get there. You know, we define optimism as the sort of blind belief, blind faith that the world will get better if I just wait long enough. And, and that I think we're sort of getting rid of in our politics, you know, that, that there's no, there's almost no place for that in democracy, right? Cause democracy is, is activity. And, and to your point, I mean, I love that you guys say that you, you know, you virtually traveled the world and, and traveled the country because that's the only way you can right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we, we were on the road and we found the same thing. We, we found hope where people were, were putting in sweat equity that were saying, I see something ugly or I see something I don't like and I'm going to find a solution and it might feel like an impossibility, an impossibility, but I'm going to do it nonetheless because I care and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And, and I think there's something about that sort of irrational hope almost that I'm just going to keep putting work into it. Um, that that's going to be the engine that gets us out of this mess. Um, and, and it's, it's so unfair, you know, and like I said, it's a bitter pill, but, but I, there are good people doing that. And that's what really allowed Jordan and I to finish this book, you know, with, with the word hope within the last four words, you know, um, it's something that really matters to us that we're really passionate about. Certainly to come to a little bit of a close, I I'd love to touch a little bit more on what you learned about yourself in this process. Cause as much as you're, you're learning about America, I think the book also goes into how how you're changing and what you're learning about yourself. So what what kind of takeaways around your own identity, the way that you think, the way you think of yourself in particular, did you take away from this process, especially in reflecting on it while writing the book? Um, well, you know, me, I think I'll start. And the, the thing I think I learned through these conversations with Chris um, were that sometimes I can kind of prioritize winning an argument rather than uh, like feeling what's going on on the other side. So often in, in our fights, you know, I would say something and probably hit Chris in a certain way, and it maybe it it um, you know caused some pain because of uh, friends or family that he thought you know were being targeted by whatever argument I was making. And I would ignore that pain because I was so focused on winning the argument. And I just, I was trying to marshal facts and, and information on my side to overpower him. And, and in doing so, I kind of would the dramatic fights between us. Um, and it was that blind spot for like how my words could cause uh, an emotional reaction um, and some pain in a friend. Um that was leading to a lot of our fights. And it was, it was only after that blind spot was kind of revealed to me by Chris that we started having these much better conversations because I was, I was sensitive to the fact that, you know, uh, you know, anything we say, any political argument is emotionally laden. There's going to be a reaction on the other side. And so, uh, you know, being able to understand and empathize, um, allowed me to to listen and to ask questions and, and to be humble about, you know, the experience Chris had that he was bringing to, to that policy issue. Um, and, uh, uh, in the end, I think it's, it's made me a much better person. And Chris, you know, Chris, uh, deserves credit for that. So that last bit was a little hard to say, huh? <laughs> yeah. It got stuck in my tongue. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I would, I feel quite similarly. Um, I, 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 I'm much humbler as a human being since these, these trips, uh, Jordan has revealed to me that there is no monopoly on truth 
um, when it comes to where you're from or what institutions you've been part of or, or what you believe that uh, this is a complex world uh, that you can never really fully uh, put your arms around and say, I get it. You know, I, I know, I, I understand the magic behind, um, you know, the modern experience. And if you don't have friends who challenge you, who think differently than you do, who are willing to point out um, ideas that they maybe disagree with and why, um, then the world's going to be small and that's, that's comforting, but you're never going to actually get closer to, you know, moving your arms a little bit closer to wrapping your wrapping around um, understanding. And uh, Jordan gave me that, you know, like Jordan said, he's, he's not, he's not shy when it comes to pointing out, um, you know, flaws in, in, in his friends' arguments. And, and that's a real virtue. And it's a real virtue to be wrong sometimes and to learn and, and to say, to say like, help me. Um, I had a mentor in, in, in writing and, and journalism who said the most powerful phrase is, is can you help me? Um, and, and to have a friend who's able to, to hear that and not see weakness and then offer help, you know, is, is, is an amazing moment of, of growth and, and coming into adulthood in some ways. So uh, thanks, bud. Appreciate you. <laughs> I think that's, that's a fantastic way to wrap this episode up. But before we finish and end the recording, guys, we want to roll the red carpet out for you virtually, of course. Where can the people find your book and also keep up to date with what you're working on? Totally. Well, so we have a website, uh, unionthebook.com, uh, which I remind you to update it. So by the time you hear this, it'll be nice and new and updated and sparkling um you can find union a democrat or republican and a search for common grounds uh on uh bookshop.org or amazon uh there's a great service called indie bounds where if you google the, the name of the the book and put in your zip code it'll shoot you over to a indie bookstore so you can support small business at a time like this and, and also support us uh and uh and yeah we're on twitter we're, we're elsewhere you know we're, we're old millennials but we're, we're doing our best and uh and yeah we're we're around and we'd love to keep this conversation going with with all your listeners fantastic really appreciate it guys anyone who's listening certainly hope you do go pick up the book that's all for this week on the debate without debate podcast we will see you next time until then peace peace jordan and chris that was fantastic 